Well, since it is Father's Day, I thought we should take a break from our study through the first five chapters of Psalms, which is what we're doing on regular Sundays. And I wrestled with what to do. Um, I, I knew that I wanted to find a text to preach from because it's God's word that is beneficial for us. Yes, and by the way, children may leave for children's church. Um, children only, though. Adults, you are stuck. There is no alternative for you. Uh, you're here now. Um, I saw a preview recently for a documentary that's maybe already out. I think it's just called Fatherhood. And it was made by a gentleman who was a stay-at-home dad. Uh, situation evolved in such a way with his family that he was the one who stayed at home and raised his young children while his wife was the one who was out working to provide for the family. Um, and he was just talking about his journey and how he felt sort of, uh, I don't know what's the word, inadequate or embarrassed by this. And it just got him thinking about, well, what is fatherhood anyway? What should it look like? Does the father have to be the one out providing, bringing home the bacon, or can he be the one at home nurturing the kids? Um, so the preview shows him going to all these different cultures and talking about fatherhood throughout history. And I haven't watched the documentary, so I can't really tell you what he found out. But it did get me thinking. The traditional family in our society is, is melting away to this very fluid concept. It's different for everybody, and it changes. And I wonder what fatherhood looks like for you in your household. We have a lot of different people here this morning. Um, we have dads. We have people who aren't dads. We have kids. We have uh, teenagers, young adults. We have people in the sandwich generation who are taking care of the kids still and their aging parents. What does fatherhood look like for you? Does it look the same as it did for your dad's generation? Or is it different somehow? Does it look the same as your granddad's generation, do you think? I don't know. It's interesting to think about. So what I thought would be helpful for me, I'm a dad. I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old. Uh, my three-year-old was the craziest looking one on the slideshow. So it's good for me, too, and I think it would be good for you dads and for everyone here to look at the standard for fatherhood. To look into the Bible and see something that's unmovable, something that won't change. Something we can look at and, and get our bearings for where we are. So, uh, continuing on from VBS last year, yesterday, we, the kids learned a lot about Jesus. We talked about Jesus as the good farmer, the good shepherd, the good neighbor, and then we finished up with Jesus as the good brother. And the meaning of that was that he invites us in to be in his family, to be like brothers with him, sharing the same father. So I thought a good continuation of that thought, even though none of you were there yesterday for this, but for my own brain, um, would be to look at Jesus as the good son. If you're familiar with the book of John, it's one of the four biographies of Jesus that we have in the New Testament. I don't know if you've ever noticed. I never noticed until I began studying for this sermon how often Jesus talks about his dad in the book of John. I counted this up myself as I studied. There are about 73 specific times that Jesus talks about his dad, the Father, God, the Heavenly Father. The book of John is only 21 chapters long, so that's about three and a half times per chapter Jesus says something about his dad, something about his relationship with his dad, the Father. So the book of John seems like a really good place to turn 
to look at God, the, the good Father, and Jesus, the good Son. And there's three main characteristics that stand out as you survey all these. I would love to share all 73 of these instances when Jesus talks about his dad. But that would be an all-day-long seminar. And I know you guys are probably already hungry and already sleepy. And I'm just getting started. So I have boiled it down as best I could to what seems to be the three primary characteristics of their relationship. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this relationship this way. It might take your brain a little bit of massaging to get... Around to be able to think about Jesus, God the Son, and his relationship with God the Father. We're Trinitarian here at Dillon's Grove. We believe that it's all the same God, but it's God in three persons. And they relate to each other within that, that unity. It's very hard to get your mind around. But as you read John, you cannot escape how clear it is that Jesus relates to God the Father like a son. Like a son still in the household, a very dependent kind of relationship. It's amazing to read. You just go through and read just what Jesus said, just the red letters, and it, and it emerges. And there's three characteristics that stand out. And I'm just going to share those with you this morning, uh, just very simply, because I know you're eager to get to your Father's Day lunches. The first one, the main one, the main characteristic between Jesus and his dad is authority. It leaps off of every page. It was very clear that God the Father was the authority in Jesus, God the Son's life. I was at the park, I don't even remember when, a couple weeks ago. And when you're a parent at the park and you've got your kids, you inevitably see how the other parents are doing it. You know, you're either desperately just looking for ideas, maybe that would work. Or if your kids are being good that day, maybe you feel a moral high ground to sort of judge what other parents are doing. I was having one of those rare days when my kids were actually being really good. Elias, my three-year-old, was just playing really well. He and another boy were, were chasing each other around and playing. And Lillian, I was just swinging her, and she was content. And there was a little girl there. She had been being a good little girl. But she found an old bottle of water with the cap off. It was empty. But you don't know who was drinking that. You don't want your kid playing with a random piece of trash bottle of water at the park. But she grabbed it, and it was like the best thing she'd ever gotten. She grabbed it, and she went underneath the, uh, the is it Mint Hill Park? She went underneath the, the little kids' play set there with, you know, all the Jungle Gym stuff. And she was just playing with it, and I'm sure putting her mouth all over it. She was a little girl. And her mom came, and I can't remember the girl's name. We'll just say it was, well, I don't want to guess because it might be one of your kids' names. It might offend somebody. But she was like, listen, you need to put that bottle down. It's dirty. Come give it to mom. And the little girl would not look up. I could see it from the swing set. She just wouldn't even acknowledge that there was any communication coming to her at all. And the mom was saying, you need to look at me. I'm talking to you. Look at me. Okay, if you don't look at me, I'm going to count to three. And then she started counting. One. Little girl would not look up. Two. Little girl didn't look up. Three. Little girl still didn't look up. And the mom couldn't get under there. So she went back to, listen to me. There's nothing at the end of three. I don't know much about parenting. I'm learning. I'm three years in. But I have picked up that bit of wisdom that the count to three approach doesn't really work. Unless you have some Hiroshima caliber discipline that's going to fall on that kid at the end of three so that they forever are stricken with terror when you start to count to three. At the end of three, you better... Put them in timeout while giving them a spanking, while telling them that Santa Claus is a lie, and while your spouse is selling their dog on Craigslist. 
And then, whenever they hear one, two, three for the rest of their lives, they will be terrified it will work. But usually that doesn't happen. Because authority is, is it's this nebulous thing in households, I think. Uh, it's, it's not clear to a lot of kids in this generation who the authority is. Um, a lot of kids challenge it. A lot of kids get away with it. And believe me, I'm not talking about any of this stuff as though I've mastered it as a dad. That's why I come to you and say, here's what the Bible says. Because I don't have really hardly any wisdom in of myself at all. But I'm with you. I want to see what God has to say about it. So as you read through, um, I'm not going to show you all these verses. I'd love for you just to read it yourself. That would be a great Father's Day activity for you. But as you read through, God is clearly the authority in His Son, Jesus' life. And there's four ways we see it. First off, He just leads really clearly. You can tell that He has made it very, very clear what He wants Jesus to be doing. So He leads really clearly. And secondly, He very thoroughly enables Jesus to do what it is He wants Jesus to do. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I tend to think of Jesus as this superhero sort of guy. But when you really read his biographies, he depends really heavily on God the Father. In fact, he even says, I can't even draw anybody to me unless the Father draws them to me. And he says over and over and over again, I'm not even here on my own initiative. I'm here because God sent me, God the Father. He said, the words I'm speaking to you, they're not even my words. They're the words the Father gave me to say to you. Jesus is just a son there on behalf of his father. So God leads really clearly. He enables him very thoroughly to do what God wants him to do. And he entrusts him with authority to do what he wants him to do. God the Father is not micromanaging Jesus. He's always there. Jesus is out here in the world doing the God's will. God the Father's will. He's enabled to. He has authority to. The fourth way you see it is that Jesus is just perfectly obedient. To the Father. He even says, I will share a few verses with you. Um, I'm going to be flipping around a lot if you just want to listen. If you've got nimble fingers, you can flip with me. But John chapter 12, verse 49, Jesus says, For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. He's not speaking on his own initiative. Back in in chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus says, Truly, truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it's something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. Jesus is so dependent on his dad, he, he can't do it in of himself. He looks to the Father. One more. Chapter 4, verse 34. This, is, this one's very clear. Jesus said to his disciples, that his disciples were hungry. And they say to Jesus, we've got to go to McDonald's and get something to eat. We're hungry. And Jesus is like, well, I already have food. And the disciples says, where did you get food? You didn't offer us any food. They seem kind of upset. And Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work, my father's work. Obedience to his father was central. To Jesus' whole identity. So, I have questions for you to get you thinking. Dads, do your kids, no matter the age, do they know clearly what it is you want of them? Do they know what your wishes are for them? Have you expressed it clearly? Have you enabled them? Have you seen it as your role to enable them to do these things that you want from them? 
Chuck Colson tells a story that I'm going to steal right out right now. I don't know if it's true or not or if he made it up to illustrate a point, but he tells a story of a man who, for his job, had to go to a seminar at a hotel. And he brought his two little boys with him to the hotel. Now, where he sat in the seminar, he had a big window he could see outside. And as he sat there, he saw his boys outside playing at the top of a bank. Now, this bank had been freshly planted with seeds of grass, and there were signs everywhere, stay off the bank. And so the dad's sitting there watching his kids, and he knows kids are drawn like magnets to that kind of situation. He knows they're going to be all over that bank. So he's trying to decide if he should get up and go out there. Everybody in the seminar can see through the window. He doesn't know if anybody else is looking or not. And then he sees someone who works in the hotel walk out there. He doesn't look happy. And he can't hear him, but he sees him yelling something to his boys. And he's sitting there very nervous. And sure enough, one of his boys just goes plowing down that bank, dirt flying everywhere, out of control, into the arms of the guy that works at the hotel. So he gets up, rushes out there, big scene, everybody can see it, grabs his little boy, says, why didn't you stay off the bank? He takes him to a private place, because you should have stayed off the bank. Why didn't you listen to the man? Gave him a sound spanking. And then as they're walking back, his kid's holding his hand, he looks up with tears down his face. He says, Daddy, what's a bank? (laughs) We dads, it's our responsibility to make sure our kids understand what it is that we want from them. Little kids especially, they want to please us as dads. We just got to make sure they know how. We got to make sure they're, they're enabled to do so. They know what we want of them to... Have we given them the authority to follow through on what it is we want? We, we've got to teach them what we want from them, enable them to do it, and then just kind of not micromanage them. Just let them go out there and do it. That's godly fatherhood. That's the fatherhood that God models for us. Kids. And when I say kids, I don't just mean little kids. I mean everyone who has a dad, which should be all of us. If my understanding of biology is correct. How important is it to you that you are obedient to your dad's wishes? Now, I know that's a weird question for some of you who are grown and you're out of the household. But you know your dad still has wishes for your life. How important is that to you? It was right at the center of Christ's heart. Christ-like sonship and daughterhood, those are words, cares deeply about obedience to our fathers. So the first thing that stands out when you look at Jesus and his dad, his heavenly father, was authority. The second thing that stands out is just closeness. Anybody in here watch the Wonder Years? Yeah, hands up. Okay, a couple people. I always really liked Wonder Years. But you know that relationship that the boy had with his dad? His dad was always sort of at a distance. He was always a mystery. He worked hard. He was away a lot, and then when he was home, he was just sort of shut down in front of the TV. And whenever he would get these glimpses in to see who his dad was, it was just beautiful. And you, and you felt just the joy that the little, the kid, was his Kevin was his name? What, how he felt, to get to know his dad a little bit. He was so distant. That's not the kind of relationship Jesus had with his father. If you read through John, you'll see Jesus say in, in different ways... To honor Jesus is to honor the Father. To know Jesus is to know the Father. To believe Jesus is to believe the Father. To see Jesus is to see the Father. To receive Jesus is to receive the Father. And to hate Jesus is to hate the Father. Throughout the book of John, he says each of those statements. 
They are so close, and he sums it up very precisely in chapter 10, verse 30. He says, I and the Father are one. They are as close as you can get. And I know what you're thinking. Well, yeah, they are one. They're the Trinity. They're God together. But remember, fatherhood on earth is a shadow of the real thing, which is God the Father. There's a reason there's God the Father and Jesus the Son. We're to learn from it. We're to, we're to understand from it. They're close. A godly father and a Christ-like son are close. There's a closeness of hands. They're devoted to the same work. Everything Jesus is doing, he's doing because that's what God's life work is all about. There's a closeness of hands, a closeness of heart. They clearly loved each other. There's a closeness of mind. They knew each other perfectly. There's a closeness of communication. Did you know that Jesus prayed? You ever thought about that? Jesus is God. Why is he praying? Is he kind of crazy? Is it like me asking myself to help me do something? Before I get up here saying, okay, Matt, don't screw this up. Was it that sort of thing? Jesus talks to the Father in prayer. I think this clarifies a lot about prayer. Incidentally, this isn't really part of the sermon. Prayer's not about getting stuff. It's not about God as our, our vending machine. Prayer is about closeness with the Father. Jesus prayed to the Father just like I want my son to talk to me. Prayer isn't, isn't about getting something. Prayer is in of itself an, an end in of itself. It's closeness, communicating with the Father. And Jesus prayed. And God heard him. In chapter 11, verses 41 through 42, Jesus said, Jesus prays, he's, he's, um, he's praying for God to do something, and God does it. He says, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they might believe that you sent me. So he's praying all the time, silently, and this one time he prays out loud so people will, will hear him and see God answer, and we'll see that relationship. But there's closeness there. So, some more questions for you. Dads, are you close with your kids? I know some of us have this macho mindset that, you know, we're just to be the stoic breadwinner. But that's not how God the Father was. Are, are we going to be better than God the Father? A godly father is close to his kids. Draws his kids near. Have you invited your kids to share in, in your passions, your work? Like God the Father does. Have you, have you given them your heart? Do they even know you? Do they ever get a glimpse of you? Have you revealed yourself to them? Have you tried to get to know them? And do you guys communicate? You and your children of any age? Or are there just rivers of things unsaid? Underground rivers of things left unsaid. And kids, what about you? Have you ever even thought about what your dad's life work is? What's important to him? How can you take part in that? Man, you know how, how much that would mean to a dad for his son or daughter to care, to take part in their passion, their life's work. Have you revealed yourself to your, your dad? Have you, have you given your heart to him? Are you close with your parent? There's a two-way street here. Do you communicate with your dad? Or again, are there underground currents of things left unsaid? 
Because Jesus and the Father, there was clear authority and there was deep closeness there. And the third thing I want to share with you, the other thing that stands out is honor. It's honor. Which for Mother's Day, we talked about honor your mother and father. So I'm not going to go all deep into that again this morning. But you know, my last thing is Broadway. Uh, it used to be Broadway a couple generations back. Somewhere along the way, we lost the A. So now it's Broadway. You know, I'm at Broadway. I have you know my kids, Elias and Lily, in Broadway. And I do. I want the Broadway name to mean something, to stand for something. And Jesus says about seven or eight times through the Book of John that He came in the Father's name. He's there representing the Father's name. One of his other prayers in John 17, he says things like, he's about to be crucified, and he says things like, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. He says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you have given me to do. His big goal was to glorify the Father. Now again, I know his Father was God, but... It's a similarity between the shadow of that relationship that we have with our dads. So dads, are you honorable men? Are you living a life that encourages your kids to live an honorable life? Are are you the kind of father that the kids are proud to be sons and daughters of? Are you building a name that they can carry on into anything honorable? Kids, how can you honor your your dad today? I can show that you respect him as your father, that you will carry on his name well. Because the relationship between Jesus the Son and God the Father, there's clear authority, there's clear closeness, there's clear honor there, and there's so much more that could be said. And I'm gonna I'm gonna stop it there. But I want to say right now, I understand that there's so many different people here in this sermon. I understand that you're not all dads. I understand that some of you aren't even male, which makes your possibility of ever being a dad very slim. I understand that not all of us have our dads with us anymore. I know that many of our fathers have, are deceased, some very recently. I understand that some of you have fathers that are alive but that are not honorable. Some of you have dads that, that don't have any godly authority and have never made an effort to be close to you. So you're like, well, what in the world good is this doing me to hear all this garbage? Let me get to the fresh house. (laughs) Just in closing, all these familiar relationships we have are important. They're important, they're glorious, they're great. But only insofar as they point to the greater realities of God. You know, Jesus said marriage It's a great thing, but really, it's all about Christ and the church. It's a picture of how Christ loved his bride, the church. I think biblically, you can can prove the case as well that fatherhood is a great and wonderful thing, but ultimately, it's about something greater. It's a picture of how God the Father loves his children. Jesus the Son invites us to be adopted into this family with God as our Father. God has clearly communicated to his kids. He's clearly communicated what he he wants of his children, Christians. Are we listening? How important is it to us 
to be Christ-like, to be like Jesus, to be about our Father's will. Everything he said, we should be able to say too. You know, in your workplace, I'm not here in my own initiative. I'm here because the Father sent me. I'm not speaking my own words in here. I'm speaking the words the Father gave me to speak. God has made every effort to draw his kids near to him through Christ. Are we resisting that? Or are we drawing near to God as well? And he's revealed himself to us through Christ. It says Christ is, is the exact radiance of his glory. He's the image of God. He's, he's done everything to, to be close to us. And some of you, you, you don't have a godly dad like this is described here, or you have a godly dad who is deceased. It's okay. You're, you're not alone. We have God the Father, which is what it was all about the whole time. It was always to point us to God the Father. When these kids get grown up and they leave the household, like Genesis says, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother. He's not leaving the lifestyle of having a father. He's leaving his earthly father in a sense so that he can take on that dependent son-daughter relationship with God, the perfect father, modeled by Jesus. You're all just kids in that sense, just like Jesus was. I mean, it blows your mind to read the book of John and see that he's, he talks about his dad like a kid. Almost more than, a, than an adult in terms of how dependent he is upon his dad. You guys are out there. You don't have to go it alone like, like grown-ups. You can't rely on your earthly dad anymore. But rely that deeply on your heavenly dad. God is infinitely honorable and glorious. How important is it to you to honor our Heavenly Father like Jesus did? To carry on that Christian name in an honorable way. And I'm done. Actually, I am done. I should have just walked on. I love you guys so much. And I... It's hard to preach a Father's Day sermon because I know, I see beneath the surface to a lot of your lives, and I know how hard this day is for some of you. And I know it's a great day for a lot of you, too. And I know it's a, it's a bittersweet thing for a lot of you. Just remember, Father's Day is a shadow of something so much greater. Get lost in that greater picture of God the Father. And may this be a great Father's Day for all of you. May you dads be godly dads. May all of us be Christ-like sons and daughters. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for your word that we can look in there and see just how you are as a father. And just marvel at how Jesus was as a son. Lord, thank you so much that we are adopted into your family, that you're our father as Christians. If, if we could grasp that reality... Our lives will be changed forever. Lord, I pray for each person here, uh, not knowing where they stand with you. I just pray that if they have not been adopted into this family, if they have not given up trying to live on their own to follow Christ, if they've not done that, that you would work in their hearts even right now, that they would do that today. I don't want anyone in here to spiritually be orphaned. I want them all to enjoy being your son and daughter. So Lord, please watch over them, protect their hearts. Lord, minister to each one where they are today. 
And Lord, just as your church, we just all together, just we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.